your source for all things Detroit Red Wings and Chicago Blackhawks. With your hosts, Jordan Linscott, David Barnhouse, Nick LePage, and Kevin Musto. You're listening to the Stickblade Podcast. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to another edition of the Stickblade Podcast. It is the Detroit Red Wings and Chicago Blackhawks Red Rivals Podcast. We cover all things Detroit Red Wings, all things Chicago Blackhawks, and just general news around the league. Uh, tonight's episode is going to be a bit of a long one, probably going to be a two-parter type episode. Basically, what I'm thinking we're going to do is we're going to break it up into one episode where we're strictly talking about the Red Wings and the Blackhawks. And I feel like it's almost to the point where there's so much else going around the league's and so he had a two-week break, and so much big news happened. We're going to split this episode into a two-part. So let's go ahead and just walk through the schedule on tonight's show. Uh, on the wing side, we're going to be talking about Vili Saryarvi being traded away, uh, the defenseman out of Grand Rapids. Also on that front, just the wings continuing to have loss after loss. Um, the Mike Babcock situation, which kind of is a tie-in to Detroit, but I think we're going to talk about that a little bit later after we actually touch on the teams. Uh, we're going to be talking about Duncan Keith and Andrew Shaw going on an injury for the Chicago Blackhawks. Also, just the Hawks having some cap issues recently. Not like big issues by any means, but just the fact that like sometimes cap issues do come up with teams. And then when we move outside of the Red Wings and the Blackhawks front, there's a lot of news for us to talk about, specifically the Mike Babcock incident with guys like Marner, Chelios, and Franzen. I always butcher the name. Akeem Aliou, the situation with Bill Peters. Um, also the situation with Mark Crawford. Um, New Jersey firing their head coach. Uh, the McKinnon contract rumors that have been circling around. Uh, Taylor Hall as well. Charlie Coyle's expand, er, expansion, extension. And then uh, finally the Pugliarvi saga is, I guess, done for the moment and then we're also of course like we always do do the recaps and the flash forward uh they're gonna be a little bit long this week because we had the last two weeks off so a bit there to talk about so let's go ahead and just jump right into this episode so let's go ahead and just start with the hawks side because i feel like there's more to talk about there than there is for the wings end this side of the uh episode so the first being duncan keith and andrew shaw going on ir um Pretty decent players for the organizations. These weren't fourth-liner guys that you guys lost, Nick. Um, go ahead and just sort of walk us through what you think these injuries mean for the club. Yeah, I mean, obviously, two brutal injuries for the Blackhawks. they kind of been plagued with the injury bug already this season with Dylan Strom and uh, Drake Kajula going down with concussion issues, and then obviously all the injuries that we had before the season. But losing your best defense when Duncan Keith, it, it was a hip injury, I think, when he was trying to stop, trying to catch up on a breakaway against, uh, it was Colorado, or St. Louis. So, yeah, it's a brutal loss to lose our number one D-man. You know, he's been, I thought Duncan has been playing really well this year, and it's just something that the Hawks can't afford right now because the decor is weak as is. So losing Duncan Keith's going to, it hurts a lot for the Blackhawks, and they're going to they're gonna need someone to step up, and I think that person might be Calvin DeHaan. Say so Dahan, I think, has really impressed me. And, I mean, he, he hasn't really gotten a lot of spotlight from uh, at least fans as far as I'm aware. But I think I've actually really liked Olimata a lot this season for you guys. 
I think I touched on it a couple weeks ago, but he was a kind of quiet pickup for you guys in the offseason. I've really been impressed with this play so far. Yeah, Maddox kind of getting bagged on a lot uh, by a lot of uh, Hawks fans, but the, the fact of the matter is he's an improvement over what we've had last year in the on the second pairing or the third pairing. So I actually don't mind Mata's game. Yeah, I know he's kind of the defenseman to blame when it comes to the Blackhawks, him and Eric Gustafson. But, you know, there's not, really not that much to knock on it. There wasn't really much upside with it, but you had – a high floor with him coming to the Blackhawks. I didn't mind it. But, yeah, Calvin DeHaan, I think, is going to be the guy that's going to take over that number one defenseman role. He's kind of like a poor man, Nicholas Jalmerson. I know we said that when he came over. And just the other last night or when the Hawks first game without Duncan Keith, he had the most time on ice. So it's, it seems like we're going to see a trend there. And then as for the Andrew Shaw injury, it's you know, he's kind of had a rough start to the season, he, but he's someone the Hawks need on the ice. And – it, it, with the way he plays a physical game, he kind of is like a locker room presence. It hurts to have him sit in the press box and, or at home because you need a, someone like a veteran like him on the ice with this young Hawks team and someone to put spark up on this uh, organization. I mean, let's not forget, you know, Andrew Shaw's not just purely a fourth liner shutdown grinder. Like Andrew Shaw, he actually does contribute scoring, which is also important. I mean, what was it, the home opener? He had two goals. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's one of those guys you could plug in anywhere on the lineup. You can put on the fourth line, the third line, second line, and the top line. And- you know, it's and he's going to be on the PK unit, or the power play unit. So losing him is a big piece for the Blackhawks. And again, it's all it's all about the next man up mentality. So they're they're going to need someone to step in and replace Andrew Shaw's physical and what he does with the locker room. I mean, I he reminds me a lot of uh, Tyler Bertuzzi in some ways. Just sort of that guy who he slots like you said throughout your lineup. You can play him top line. You can play him second or third line. If you need to play him as like a shutdown type player on your fourth, you can do that. That's a pretty big loss for you guys, for sure. Yeah, and so, I, he, he's been – sorry, go ahead, Jordan, sorry. I was going to say, like, losing him and Duncan Keith for you guys, like, that's – that's like you said, two veteran guys. Like, that's that's not a small loss for your club by any means. Yeah, absolutely not. It's two guys that are leaders in the locker room and leaders on the ice, so it hurts. And, you know, Shaw has been going through a couple of injury – a little plagued with the injury bug the last couple of seasons. Last year, he, his season got cut short. And that was a career in Montreal. And so we're losing a guy who has a lot of scoring potential. But also, like you said, Jordan, he's, he's one of those guys that you could do you could ask him to do anything on the ice and he'll do it for you. Those are the two injuries for the Hawks side. Uh, while we're on the Hawks, uh, it came up this week. Didn't really cause any major moves. But I guess fans kind of got them talking about uh, the cap issues that you guys have been in. Just I get what it affected your guys' call-ups, if I remember correctly. <laughs> yeah, we had uh, against the Blues, we... We're only allowed to we we're only eligible to play eleven forwards and six D men because Robin Leonard was sick, so we needed to call up a goalie, and that was it. We had we had we started a forward down. Oof. I mean, it's kind of one of those things. Like, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about uh, how the salary cap should work in active games. I think maybe they'll negotiate it in the next CBA, but I think. If a player is out on injury, it should be okay for your team to go over the cap if it's strictly call-up reasons. Like, let's say you want to get somebody and you want to bring them up from your organization, but it's going to put you over the cap as long as it's strictly to replace a player on IR. I don't really understand why that's really a problem. Well, Stan Bowman, it it all goes back to Stan Bowman because he kind of mismanaged the situation because he could have put players on IR, like Drake Kajula, Andrew Shaw, Dylan Strom because they were going through their head issues, or Drake and Julian Strom were going through their head issues, but they didn't. You know, it's 
one of those things that Sam Bowen just decided not to put these guys on IR. Not, it doesn't even have to be long-term IR. Just throw them in the IR, make the calls when they need to be. And Stan didn't do it. So we had to play a game down a man. And uh, when we get to our recap, you'll see the outcome. Yeah. Um, those are the only two things that I could really think about on the Hawks side that happened this week. Is there anything else you want to talk about, Nick, before we transition over to the Red Wing side of the podcast? Uh, no, uh, yeah, I'll save everything for the recap. Okay, so uh, we actually we have two pieces of news for the Red Wings, which I actually forgot to uh, bring it up in the start of the show. Um, I mentioned the Vili Sariarvi trade, but also uh, Philip Zadina getting called up to the NHL. Um, this happened, I believe it was two weeks ago, so just after we recorded our episode, he's been playing with the big club. Um, no goals yet, but he did have a, a pretty beautiful assist on one of Detroit's power play goals with uh, Dylan Larkin, and I believe it was Tyler Bertuzzi. So he's getting a chance to play in the NHL. So that's obviously, you know, good for the organization. Shows that you know they think, hey, we need to see what he has. Uh, he hasn't reached the game threshold yet to burn a year of his ELC. So I think we're going to see pretty soon what the organization thinks of him and his development. The other piece of Wings news that I want to talk about is the Red Wings ended up trading away Vili Sariarvi for a goaltender. They ended up trading him and uh, who is the goaltender they acquired? Do you remember his name, uh, David? Eric Comrie. Eric Comrie. Eric Comrie. I'm going to rant a bit for the about the Sariarvi trades. So, David, what do you think about these moves? Or- about these moves this past couple weeks um well it was Zadina um I'm okay with it I think Iserman's been keeping a close eye on him um I know we had that break uh this past week over like the Thanksgiving uh holiday and Iserman sent Zadina back to Grand Rapids and I think he actually went to Grand Rapids to watch him uh, which is why he probably called him back up so I'm fine with that I want to see what the kid can do um with the trade, I know we have like a log jam at defense, and Eiserman just drafted a bunch of defense. I think he wants to focus on the people he's bringing in and the, the defenseman he drafted. Silly Arvey's had his moments, but he's also had moments where he's not noticeable. Um, and I think Eiserman sees that we have a needed goalie with Jimmy Hurt, with um, Larson kind of not performing, and also I think Hurt as well. So we needed to bring in another young goalie who could probably challenge for a roster spot. Um, I think Comrie gets a bad rep coming from Arizona because that place is a dumpster. Um, But I think he could develop into something possibly good for us um, while we wait for um, our other prospects to develop. I actually like this trade for you guys. You know, it's I know Sari Arby's kind of one of those guys that has been very praised for the, his defensive game and the prospect pool that Detroit has, but Eric Comrie was a very reliable AHL guy and, and he's young too. He's 24, 25 and he was very reliable over in Winnipeg for their uh, Manitoba Moose and their, their AHL organization. And with Steve Eisman being active this early, he kind of—it's a good sign that he show he knows what's shaping. Like he's being active early, aggressive with trades, as we've seen already, and he's shaping things right now the way he wants to because he knows there's going to be time where he's going to fill these spots. He he has a plan. He has stuff drawn out for the future, and it's all gonna every every move will make sense once it's all said and done. It's this is just the start of the domino effect okay so i think that i like the trade i like the return on the trade and i agree sorry rv i don't know if he necessarily had a 
chance long term with this organization or not. The only thing I don't like about this trade is the timing on it. Like Detroit's gonna have argue what is it? They're gonna have Erickson off the uh, books, Daly's off the books, uh, Mike Green comes off the books, Cronwell already left this season. There's going to be a mass defense exodus in Detroit at the end of this season. I think what Iserman should have done is he should have waited for the exodus to happen, held on to the current highest-end D prospects that we had, and then given each of them a small stint, not a, a long stretch by any means, but just a small stint to see which ones he thinks are keepers at the big show, and then move them. Because I don't see the point in making this move right now. Like... At this point in the season, Comrie's not going to come up and steal the starter position. At least, he, I don't think he will. He's going to basically be in Grand Rapids' best-case scenario. And in the meantime, you basically traded a player who you didn't get any sort of NHL look at. So I guess the only thing I don't understand is the timing about it. I mean, yeah, I get that. But he has his own guys that he's drafted. And you got to think maybe he's looking at free agents are trading for players too in the off season because we're going to have quite a few draft picks still but yeah i mean silly rv never really got that big nhl look but maybe you know eiserman's not stupid he pays attention to everything maybe he wasn't seeing a player that he could see the future with with the team i mean that's perfectly fair just to me the timing was all really bugged me about this trade i mean yeah it didn't make any sense to make the trade right now because he's not pressured right now. Yeah, I get it. You guys have anything else to talk about before we do the uh, the rest of the league's news? No, no. I think, uh, actually, yeah, there is one thing I forgot to mention with the Blackhawks. Um, GM of the Montreal Canadiens, Mark Bergman, has been taking in a few of the Blackhawks AHL games or the Rockford Icehawks games and NHL games. So uh, I think there we can see a potential move in the making. I he, the Canadians have showed interest in Eric Gustafson, so I think uh, we might be seeing a move made real soon the way uh, the Hawks are kind of dropping like flies. And then also, one last piece of news is Stan Bowman has no uh, no plans to send Kirby Doc to World Juniors, which is a promising sign, as we know how things went with the Henry Okiaro situation last year. Okay. Well, that's going to cover the Hawks and the Wings front. We can go ahead and move on to the rest of the league. And I'm going to say this out the outset, there is a lot to talk about, and I guess to uh, unload this week. I think one thing we can go on that ties into the Wings is the Babcock stuff, because there's multiple stories. There's one that I just started reading today about it that we can tie into it. So why don't we start with that? Okay, so... For anybody who hasn't really been following hockey media or news recently, um, two weeks ago, Mike Babcock got released from the coaching position in Toronto. When it happened, I said it was great for the players to be gone. I I believe it in the episode last week, I specifically said Mike Babcock's got ego problems, that it's one of those things where he doesn't treat players well. And it came out that, unfortunately, I was right. Um, specifically, Mitch Marner uh, was telling a story. Mike Babcock basically gave him a list and said, I need you to rank this team. Who works the hardest? Who works the least hard? And it wasn't just he had them do that so Mike Babcock could see where Marner evaluated this team. He then took that list and gave it to other players on the team. Like, if you want to turn a locker room toxic, that is such a fast way to do it. You're essentially taking a kid and making him bash on his teammates and then telling his teammates, hey, look, this guy's been bashing on you. I don't... I don't understand why Mike Babcock would have begun to think this was a good idea. Um, David, Nick, just that situation alone, what did you guys think when you read that? That's like a huge red flag. That's like a stupid 
childish thing to do, in my opinion. It just shows how much of a dickhead Mike Babcock really is. This is Marner's rookie year, and he's putting this stud guy, this stud kid that you're bringing your prestigious organization, and you're making him call out teammates already. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Marner put himself first on that list just to kind of like throw a sign saying, hey, this wasn't my choice. If I remember right in the story, he specifically said that he, he was the one who needed to work harder the most. Yeah, so and I mean that's how that's what Mitch Warner is. Like that's why he's a leader with the Maple Leafs locker room now. He he didn't want like he put himself first on there because he didn't want to throw anyone else under the bus. He this this is why Marner the Maple Leafs are Marner's team. I mean him and Matthews, but yeah, you don't do that to you, this young stud and just play these mind games with Mitch Marner. It's it's just ridiculous to even do to introduce yourself to this kid. So yeah, I mean. In particular, the Leafs have came under fire recently for the cap situation they're they're in. I hate to be this way, but I actually think this might be part of the reason why. I mean, think about this from a player's perspective, right? Your agent tells you you're going to go play in a team that has some of the harshest media, and then you're also going to have to play for a coach who does stuff like that to players. You better believe that that organization is going to pay me a premium to play there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, I mean, I know we'll get to this Mike Babcock saga. This is just starting our our discussion about him. But their players went to Ken Holland at the time and said like how they were being mistreated, and Ken Holland kind of just blew it out out of the like let it slide through. So yeah, I mean players did not want to play for Detroit, so if they wanted to get if they wanted them to play there, they had to pay them. Say and who is it? Chris Chelios, former Blackhawk and Red Wing, but when he was with the Wings, I mean. He even went on a quote and said, you know, free agents don't want to come to Detroit to play for Mike Babcock. He was telling a story once, uh, I believe it was on the, uh, the Spit and Chicklets podcast interview that they had him on. And he said, you know, he had a great game. He had, I think it was like a goal and an assist or a goal and two assists. And Mike Babcock basically pulled him aside and said, hey, what was that? You're supposed to be teaching this young guy. And if you're not going to follow your role, go talk to Ken Holland. I'm sure he'll trade you or something like that. Yeah, he's saying that's one of the best defensemen of all time. Yeah, because Chelios didn't play like a shutdown D role. He got yelled at for, you know, the three-point <clears throat> night. Casually a bad, a terrible night for a defenseman, three points. Mm-hmm. And then not even, there's more to Chelios. I mean, it's kind of like the Spetsa situation when the Winter Classic. Chelios going home to the Winter Classic at Wrigley Field. Babcock throws him out. Like, he was originally not going to play him, and Chelios demanded to play. Well, Babcock- no. Um, Ken Holland and a couple other people told him to play him, so he played him for one shift and then sat him on the bench the rest of the game. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. A minute 56. I think he played for a minute 56 total. So he played a minute 56 in the third period, or first period. And it was funny because Chelios was kind of lighthearted about it. He's like, all right. And he had his sons feed him beers through the glass for the rest of the Winter Classic while he was on the bench. So Yeah, his sons were sitting behind him and like talking like what's going on and he's like motioning the, the glass motion like bring me some beer so they kept bringing him beers and i think it was our our assistant coach was like hey we're gonna put you out for the penalty kill late in the third period and he goes no i'm good <laughs> uh, good but that's one of the reasons i love chelio so much like that guy just does him but no that that's another like just terrible 
example of like him being just there's no other way to put it like he's just complete douche like you don't do that to a guy who's got a hall of fame resume just because you're trying to make a point like then on top of that was the johan franzen deal where after franzen was having his issues mike babcock basically yelling and screaming at him essentially made him have like a mini panic attack or something like that like yeah and he was probably suffering from the post-concussion syndromes there and there so that was making it even worse for him Go ahead, John. Just say I like it. Everything about Mike Babcock that I have read in regards to the story, just I don't understand why he was kept around that long. Because <laughs> he 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 could coach. Yeah, I'm looking at the box score right now. Nicholas Listrom had 24 minutes, 59 seconds time on ice. Rafalski, who I miss dearly, had 24-21, and then Chelios a minute 57. <laughs> I mean, and I mean, Babcock is just—he's such an overrated coach. I feel like too. I mean, he's gonna get credit for he, like the resume with the the teams the Red Wings had were just stacked for the Stanley Cup. And then not only that, the Olympic gold medal team with Canada—like I could have coached that team and won a gold medal. The, the, you don't need like you could throw anyone behind that bench, and Canada was winning a gold medal that year. Is Babcock? He, he's just so arrogant, all about himself. Like the, I know this is going back to when he already got fired, but before he got fired, he said, if I'm going to bet on anyone, I'm going to bet on Mike Babcock. And that's just such an arrogant piece of shit thing to say. And it, it just shows the type of person he is. And you could tell by the situations coming out now. It's just, it, it, it just seems like it's getting worse. Uh, Hosa had three assists that game for us. That was nice. If you, if, would, is there any NHL team that you would really want to take a chance on Mike Babcock? Ottawa. <laughs> I, I don't even... just to see that dumpster fire. I don't think I like. I think these situations have kind of, might have even damped his career. Like it, it might be over for Mike Babcock after all this coming out. To be honest, I actually hope it is. I mean, say what you will about you know players in this day and age, and even you know the early two thousands. That sort of behavior. It's like you're saying, Nick. That's the sort of behavior that I expect out of a child. Like, this is a professional atmosphere. That's not professional behavior by any means. No, absolutely yeah. not. It's just, it's like selfish, selfish. I mean, the way he's treating players, they don't deserve that. Like, nobody deserves to be treated like that. I don't care if you're the coach, the GM, the owner. Like, you got to treat these guys, they're human. You don't need to treat them like they're not, they're animals with no respect. Exactly. If, if I did that in my classroom and, like, I just gave my students, like, a list, like, hey, who, who, who's the worst student in the class, blah, 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 I'd be on the freaking news all over the country and I'd be fired and never get a teaching job. Hey, like, and I think what's almost made this story, in particular the Chelios and Franzen stories, worse is that Mike, and not Mike Babcock, obviously Mike Babcock knew about it, but the fact that Ken Holland knew about this and did nothing. I say this all the time. Yeah. If you're overseeing somebody and you know that somebody is toxic, you deal with that person. You don't just hope the problem sorts itself out. And unfortunately for the players, I don't know if it was a we don't want to break the tradition look like divas type deal, but I almost wish that Pavel Datsuk or Henrik Zetterberg or Nick Lidstrom would have just straight up went to Ken Holland and said, get us a new coach or we're not playing because this behavior is so unacceptable out of a head coach. Oh, of course. And what was Chelly saying? Was it was Chelly talking about 
I know you listened to the interview, Jordan. Was Shelly talking about Babcock about like the first in or first meeting with him? Like Chelios like went out of his way to go or like Babcock didn't go out of his way to talk to Chelios or something like that. And there was like rumors yeah. about, about it, whether it's like being it being an American thing or stuff like I forgot what exactly what it was. If I remember the interview correctly, basically when uh, Mike Babcock got uh, put in as the posi- like in the position of coach. He talked to Chelios and he said, hey, do you remember me? We played against each other. And Chelios told him, you know, jokingly, no, not really. And Mike Babcock basically took it personal. And so That just goes to show how how full of himself he is. That, to me, is what I think really bothers me the most about this Mike Babcock situation, though, is that it's almost like he held personal vendettas against players and that he didn't treat anybody for what they were i mean he's dealing with hall of fame caliber players like you treat those players with respect like even like new guys who haven't proved themselves necessarily even if they're new to the league that doesn't give you grounds to disrespect them and the fact that he did this to hall of fame caliber players of all just makes it that much worse i just think he this is the guy that molded this current maple Leafs team like molded the brains of these young studs in the maple Leafs. so imagine you know the Leafs kind of got out in front of it early and because it could have got really ugly over there. Yeah. But in the end, he he got what he deserves. He doesn't deserve to be working in, in the NHL right now. He, he he just never adjusted with the times. He's kind of like he had like old school mentality. It's not the same game anymore as in like the '80s or '90s. This is a different game. You're dealing with a different generation. They're not going to handle the same kind of treatment that these guys in the past were able to. And that's the thing. I like you know. Yes, it's different generations of players that he coached, but regardless of generational differences. It doesn't matter who you're interacting to, whether it's a 50-year-old man or an 18-year-old kid. Like This isn't acceptable regardless of who you're interacting with. And it's not a, it's not the stereotypical, oh, this younger generation, they're so weak emotionally, blah, blah, blah. It's not that. These kids have been put under pressure their entire, realistically, hockey-playing careers. They understand pressure. They know stress. But... This isn't putting players under stress. This is just being straight up disrespectful. Absolutely. Um, let's go ahead and move on from the Mike Babcock situation, unless anybody else has something else to add to it. No, I yeah. think uh, I think that we're going to have more information. I feel like it's a long thing. There's just going to be more more stories coming out. Okay. Well, uh, I'm not as familiar with the situation because I've been away from the hockey media for a minute. But uh, the other uh, situation that came, that came up, I... I always butcher the name, so I'm sorry for the name I think right it's now. Akeem Alou. Akeem Alou. Yeah. Um, situation with Bill Peters um, basically made some pretty terrible remarks towards this player, just completely uncalled for on every level. Um, I don't want to say the comments on air, but I'll put it this way. They weren't, what's the word I'm looking for? They were not in any way, shape, or form ever acceptable. No, it doesn't matter. This is a completely different situation from uh, the Babcock situation. So, uh, want me to backtrack the story, Jordan? I mean, if you want to backtrack it, I guess. I mean, I did a pretty bad job of explaining what happened, but... (laughs) No, yeah, no, it's okay. It's a tough situation. It's kind of tough to talk about just because how brutal it is, but... You know, it's a bigger, big story in the NHL, so it needs to be. So, Akeem Alou was a prospect in the Blackhawks organization. He played for the Rockford Icehawks, and at the time, Bill Peters was the head coach. Uh, he was actually a pretty promising prospect. Uh, 20 goals, 20 assists in his first season with the Rockford Icehawks, but 
that does, that's not what matters at this point. Uh, so Akimalu, he had kind of got this bad rep from previous scouts and GMs, and it was unfair. But there was a time during like pregame skate and locker room, Akimalu was playing music, and Bill Peters went up to him and told him, "Turn that expletive off." A racist remark. The N word. Yes. And I should have clarified, he's an African-American. And, you know, Akimalu was, like, shocked by it. He didn't say anything at first. And then uh, and then Bill Peters kind of doubled down on it. Akimalu went to the locker room, and he, he told him again. Go ahead, David. You got to chat with him. Yeah, he, um, he said, I have the quote that Akim said he said. So he said, he walked in before a morning pregame skate and said, Hey, Akim, I'm sick of you playing that NS. He said, I'm sick of hearing this N." effing other ends in the a stuff so it got real bad yeah he dropped bill, that word three times yeah and, and that's nothing no one that's not even a, no human should say that to any human no matter what and so and you know i think it was a few days later came a little went to the office and peters doubled down on it and said it again so this brings it so after several years it's gone it went by several years and it, Akeem Lou kind of brought to attention with after all this Babcock information and with a tweet saying the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And so not then the, the Carolina Hurricane, or not the, the Calgary Flames, kind of had to do some research and it led to the firing of uh, the coach. Yep. They fired him for an incident 10 years prior because they don't want that kind of stuff in their organization and I don't blame them. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I know. It, Especially with how the NHL is kind of pushing the hockey is for everyone nowadays, which it's it's a great cause, mm-hmm. but this isn't like acts like that. Bill, the way Bill Peters acted, even if it's ten years ago, it should never have happened before. Mm-hmm. And to even make make matters worse, he went to Blackhawks brass general management and had Akeem lose sent down to the ECHL, and he was performing really well. So it kind of showed the grudge and how racist Bill Peters really is, and. It's just a terrible human being, and I don't expect to see him in the NHL again. You know, they're like the Mike Babcock stuff. Like that was pretty terrible, but the racist remarks that is arguably worse. I mean, you said it, Nick. You know, the NHL is trying to promote this hockey is for everyone campaign that they've got going. This is just a bad look for that overall. I don't know if maybe the NHL will just strictly bar him mm-hmm. for it because it's completely counterproductive to what they want their message to be, which good. There's not a place for people like that in sports. And, and his apology was kind of, he kind of gave an apology. Ten years later, he finally gave an apology. But it was kind of half-assed, too. And it's just, you know, it, these coaches, we're going to get to another one after this, but these coaches are kind of just taking advantage of the power that they have. They kind of hold themselves, they, they don't hold themselves to a higher standard. They just feel like they're like a dictator in the locker room. And, you know, it's sad to see because that kind of ruined Akeem Alou's career. Like I said, I think he was a second-round pick, and he was a promising player. And, you know, comments like that made him lose interest in the game. And, you know, think, I'm glad he came out, even if it's years later, I'm glad he came out and finally stood up for what he believed because now the NHL is into more investigating, and there's more and more stories coming out. And, you know, it's all the players' associations kind of jo- coming together and joining in support Akeem Alou. Yeah, this is... If nothing else, it's good that like stuff like this is coming to light. I think it's giving players more comfort in sharing stories about stuff like this. I, I guess we'll see probably if other stories come out in regards to other coaches. I mean, 
he didn't say anything recently about it, but if I remember correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, David, but uh, I believe it was actually our, uh, our Grand Rapids player, Giovanni Smith. He uh, he was either is either a junior game or somewhere else where the other players were basically making racial slurs at him, and they didn't was really the face any kind. Was it the fans? Because he had a police escort. All I remember, though, is that people turns. were making uh, racial remarks at him at a game. Somebody was making it. Either the players or fans. It was it was racist taunts from the fans. He had to get a police escort. Yeah, so it wasn't players. That's my that's my fault. But either way, like stuff like that is not acceptable by any means. <laughs> if it was players, you know he would have ended their lives. <laughs> and it, it's it, it, Jamal Mayer's kind of spoke about it, too. Again, I don't know. It's been Chicklets episode. It, it, it's an issue throughout the NHL. I mean, I, I, more and more people are coming acceptable. You know, we're in the times that we are, and, you know, it's a sport, and everybody should be able to get the chance to enjoy it. If you're skilled at it, you should get the chance to succeed in the NHL. But Jamal Mayers, was talking, he didn't go into specifics, but he said there was times on ice where he was kind of treated like a different human because of his skin color. So, uh, you know, I hope the league starts cracking down on more of this stuff. It's really a shit. I mean, we, we're seeing some... I, I don't want to go into race or anything, but like we're seeing more and more skilled African Americans join the NHL. And it's great for the game. It's mm-hmm. it's it's drawing more fans. It's drawing a diverse group of individuals to the game, and this is what we want to see. And you know, it, it, certain individuals want to go out of their way and try to ruin something great for a specific person. That made me think. Do you guys remember? It was a couple years ago. The guy on Twitter that he someone t- is a black guy. Someone took him to a hockey game, and he'd like. Fell uh, in love with hockey. Yes. Yeah, oh X, yeah. Solacity X or something like that. Greatest so, tweet, live tweeting thing I've ever read. Yeah, that was uh, it, it was awesome. It was a St. Louis Blues game. I remember that. It was probably the most interesting, one of the most interesting nights in Twitter sports history. It, there was that one, and then I remember there was some guy on YouTube. He made a video about it as well. He went to like some minor yeah. league game or something. Found he was him. talking about how like they were constantly giving away like free shirts and stuff like that, and how he had a great time. Like, but this is what we want to. This is what the league wants to see. So, uh, you know, I'm glad they're kind of cracking down, and good for Akeem Alou finally coming out. Uh, and hopefully, the NHL can get him more involved in the league. I know he that's kind of his plan. Whether it's uh, he said he's trying to come back both on and off the ice, so we'll see what his plans are, and hopefully, uh, things shape up and he could succeed at that. You know what I think would actually be great for this situation? If he doesn't get a job as a player on a team, I think it'd be kind of cool to see him be a almost like a harassment counselor type position for the league where players can talk to him and sort of explain what's going on. Yeah, like a big part of the Players Association. Yeah, exactly. Like I would love some to sort of role like that. I would love to see him being a representative. Like a minority group representative or something like that. If they could create a role for Akima Alou, it would be great because, you know, he's kind of looking for a chance to just something. He wants to be involved with the game because he grew up loving the game and, you know, it kind of got ruined because of one asshole who decides to ruin someone's career. Yeah. Uh, I uh, I found the guy and I'm reading through his tweets. He was at a Blues Blackhawks game, Nick, because okay. he wrote, I don't know who this dude Kane is, but we got to stop him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that Twitter that Twitter thread was uh, absolutely hilarious. I, I think it was a playoff game too. It was, yeah, it was. He, my favorite though is honestly, why wouldn't the whole team just stand in front of the net for the last minute? <laughs> oh man, that's classic. Oh, but I mean, hockey's already got you know a financial 
entry barrier, so to speak. I mean, ice time's not cheap, equipment's not cheap. Race shouldn't be something that is a barrier for players, and I'm glad that I'm not glad the situation happened, obviously, but I'm glad that he's coming forward and this is getting a light shot on it because your race should never disqualify you from playing a sport or enjoying a movie or whatever your entertainment mm-hmm. is. Uh, no, I agree 100%. And, you know, I, I'm glad to see that the NHL is getting more and more, and more diverse because it shows how well the league's promoting itself and how, like, it doesn't matter where it's from. Like, I think. There's a, we got a couple. I think there's a couple of Philippines in the league right now. A couple of, uh, Asian Americans, and so it's great to see all this diversity coming in. Obviously, with the European countries, we they've been in the league, but you know, it's what we want. It's what the league wants to see, and they're doing doing it well right now. Yeah, they're actually doing a good job. Um, does anybody have any more comments they want to make on this before we move to the uh, the Mark Crawford? No, I think we uh, we covered it well. Unless David, do you have any? No, I think we got it. The uh, we'll finish up the the bad news, I guess, for this week when we're talking about coaching front. Uh, Mark Crawford has also been receiving basically reports that he's been abusive towards players. Uh, just basically, not even just like verbally. I believe like physically abusive as well. Um, for those of you who don't know, basically, uh, he was a coach for I believe it's the Colorado Avalanche and. I don't know what he did after he was done with the Avalanche. He's the assistant coach for the Blackhawks. Basically, a lot of reports have came out that he was either like physically like abusive players, like he put his hands on them, verbally abusive, just really all around jerk to the players that he was with. Um, I don't know if there's going to be potential lawsuits involved with this because I mean, putting your hands on a play somebody crosses the line just as badly as making racial statements about somebody. Yeah, they, uh, he kicked Sean Avery. I mean, I know Sean Avery was kind of a dickhead in the league too, but it shows how mean this coach uh, Mark Crawford is. Um, he kicked Sean Avery so hard he left a nice little footmark on his back. So, And then Brent Sopel, former Blackhawk, came out and spoke about him. And he just said that you know Crawford was kind of one of those guys. He's like, in your face, he'll try to beat you down with Sobel kind of defended him. He said that's how he tried to get the best out of people. And it looks like more and more people are kind of defending Crawford. It's not as bad as the I think that's the Babcock or Bill Peters situation because the, you got these players defending him. So I don't know. I don't like that he's he's the assistant coach of the Blackhawks right now, and I don't like that he's really shaping these this young core that we have. Uh, you know, there was a situation. I think the player's name was Pat O'Sullivan, and he was physically abused by his his family growing up and mark crawford brought like used that to insult pat pat o'sullivan before a game and it kind of put him in a mentally depressed situation and it was just it shows like what he's doing to players and it's not like he acts like hockey is over life itself and it's just disrespectful what he said to pat o'sullivan can't remember who where the quote came from, but what is it? Wasn't there like you said there was like a you said the rumor that uh, he cut somebody like right in the back or something else a footmark? Sean Jesus. Avery, yeah. Sean Avery, like I don't know. I think if nothing else, the fact that this sort of stuff is coming about is good, not because of the fact that it happened, but just it's starting to get coaches held more accountable for their behavior. If nothing else, I think finally these coaches might second guess the way that they're handling these players. P- 
people you know try to justify it and say, well, these guys are getting paid, you know, potentially either a hundred thousand or even like you know millions of dollars. You know, they can put up with you know whatever these tactics are. But at the end of the day, they're still human beings. Like they still deserve at least like decency. They have feelings. They have emotions. Some of them are going through things we can't explain, like Franzen was. Yeah, it's just. It's just coaches, like, it all goes back to this, how I said earlier, the coaches are abusing their power and literally abusing players. Does anybody else have anything to add before we finally get out of the bad news? Well, the the terrible news, I guess, for the week. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's, it's just, uh, who was it? Was it the Devils that fired their coach? The New Jersey Devils fired their head coach, or fired their coach. So, yeah, that's the other coaching news. Uh, you know, Devils kind of, uh, really underperforming team so they had to say goodbye to i don't even know their coach's name that's how irrelevant (laughs) (laughs) that's how irrelevant that's how relevant the is it john hines john hines i don't Um, know i'm not sure off the top of my head either it's like you said i've done that little john hines yeah yeah so yeah he got fired so uh, obviously with an underperforming team there you have it so that's the worst news that's the least of the worst news for nhl coaches this week okay um, well, like I said, let's go ahead and move on to, I guess, a little bit more positive news. Still, some of it's not great, but at least some just not only negative news. Um, Nathan McKinnon, uh, contract rumors with him that when it comes to re-upping, when his contract right now is up, he said he's going to be taking a discount because he believes in the group that they have in Colorado. He thinks they can actually make it happen. Good for him. Yeah, I mean, that's... It, it, but here's the thing: Sidney Crosby doing did the same thing. Uh, McKinnon and Crosby are actually best friends. Boston Bruins, we see them doing the same thing, pulling on the same rope. The only this is only going to work out though if P, the players in Colorado are going to do the same thing. Like McKinnon's the franchise there, but if nobody else is going to take a pay cut and McKinnon's going to get screwed over, that's kind of concerning because he's one of the best players in the league. But the fact that he's willing to do this. Is just shows the kind of leader he is, and you know, hopefully, well, not hopefully for the Blackhawks, but if you're an Avalanche fan, hopefully, uh, everybody does the same because that could be a talented team if they all take pay cuts and stay together. Exactly, I think since, like you said, he's the leader. I think if they, if these, if his teammates truly respect him and follow him as a leader, they'll do the same thing. I mean, if you look at like a lot of the Cup contending teams recently, like the ones that have had success, a lot of those teams that played and really had great runs if you look at the contracts on their books they don't really have a ton of bad contracts i mean pittsburgh for example they had crosby and malkin on manageable deals latang was on a manageable deal uh before matt murray took off him and flurry were on manageable deals like i think it's only really been once players decide that they're not taking the pay cuts that these you know continuously competitive squads have started to fall apart i mean evgeny kuznetsov he could have taken a budget cut on or could have not taken a budget cut on his last contract and absolutely made more money tj oshi could have taken more money braden holtby the goaltender for washington said he's willing to take a pay cut to stay with the organization like i think that's almost sort of what the good teams do they find a core group of guys, they get them to buy into the fact that this group is capable, and then everybody signs cheap, and players are willing to come there because they know they've got a real chance. 
Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that's like you said, Jordan. What the good teams look at the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's what everybody's doing over there. Why do you think they're so damn good? These players, like, but everybody. The key factor is everybody needs to do it. Like, if one person wants to be greedy, like Miko Ratten is looking like a real piece of shit after what happened this offseason. <laughs> how he was holding out. McKinnon's like, yeah, I'll take whatever you guys want to give me. So, in the end, when you're making so like fifty plus million, what's a couple more million? Come on, just take the pay cut, keep a great team together. All for one, one for all. Yeah. And I mean, like, I think, and I'm not gonna try to harp on him because he's absolutely worth the money, right? But I mean, I think Connor McDavid is a great example of this. If you're talking about just strictly ticket revenue, merchandise, stuff like that. He's obviously worth $15 million. But when you're talking about portions of the cap, yeah, he's only making, what is it, like 12 or 12.5, I think it is? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's somewhere around there. Like, just shy of 13, I believe. So, I mean, like, I think his deal that he signed was like, what was it, like 114 or $140 million or something like that. But regardless... When you're making over a hundred million dollars, when you're making over eighty million dollars for the next eight years, what is really two or three million? Like, what, what exactly. is two or three million dollars a year really worth to you? Like, and it's like you guys said, you know, you got to have a full team that buys in. Yeah, uh, and I and I think more and more players are starting to buy into that mentality too, though. So, you know, you can see a lot of uh, these dream teams being full or super teams being filled formed just because of the pay cuts these players are willing to take for their team mm. and that's why the nhl is great i mean it's the toughest the stanley cup's the toughest trophy to win in all sports so these guys are willing to do whatever it takes to keep the best roster together exactly that's the thing though right like i mean hockey is like you just mentioned one of the hardest trophies to win because of the fact that one player can't win that trophy like crosby great player he can't win the cup on his own like you know LeBron James or Kobe Bryant could do in the NA or in the NBA. You look at you know Nathan McKinnon. We're just talking about him. He can't win that trophy alone. You need to have a good overall team to win that trophy. You can't just have one or two guys carry you the whole way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me. While we're talking about uh, contracts for for your players, though, let's go and talk about another one. Uh, Charlie Coyle ends up signing a deal with the Boston Bruins. Um, I believe he signed him to a six-year extension, and it's a cap hit of $5.25 million. So Boston basically trying to keep that core that they have together that they've been so successful with the past couple of years. Um, obviously, it's it's going to get harder for them because, I mean, who is it? They just had uh, – are they going to have Pasternak? They're going to have uh, – what was his name? Um, the defenseman. Why is his name slipping me right now? McAvoy. McAvoy, uh, they just oh, locked Troy up. Krug is, they just locked him up, yeah. And, I mean, so they're going to be a little bit tighter to the cap, but they're mm-hmm. still not like they're not in cap hell yet because nobody's gotten super greedy. Yeah, they're. Uh, I I love this deal for Charlie Coyle. I think he's a perfect Boston Boston type player. He he's physical. He can score. He gets in the dirty areas. He's just one of those kind of all-around good players, and it makes the deal with the Wild look even better because they're able to get him around for five more years. Yep, good deal for them. Cheap deal. Now their next priority is going to – I don't know if they're going to be able to afford it – is uh, Tory Krug. So he comes off, what is it, this offseason, right? Yeah, yep. and I, I was talking – I think he might be a Red Wing. Oh. Say so he did uh, 
I believe if I read correctly, he did <laughs> buy a God. house in uh, Adrian, which Adrian's not, what is it? It's not terribly far from Detroit. He's a Michigan State alum, too. Yeah. So, I mean, that's definitely. God, please let it happen. Maybe that's what Babcock's preparing for. I, I honestly think it's legitimately possible. This is, uh, you know, it's, he's from the area, and the Red Wings are going to have a lot of money to throw his way. I think we'll have to see about that one. I'm not sure. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll quote unquote buy in as well. But I'd like to see Tory Krug in a Red Wing uniform as long as and as long as it's not a ridiculously high cap hit. Let's timestamp this right now. It's nine twelve on Friday, December sixth, when the off season hits. When we record the first episode of this uh, of the off season, July first, we'll see if Krug's a Red Wing. So this is my that's my prediction six months in advance. They Detroit will have the cap money to move for, and they'll need the defenseman. So maybe it makes just perfect sense for them. I, I honestly think it's written in the stars. This is going to be Eiserman's biggest offseason. And, you know, we got six months to wait and see, but look out for Tory Krug to Detroit. Nick, if that happens, I'll find some way somehow to get you an Oberon. Gladly. I, glad, I won't say no to any Oberon. Will not <laughs> say no. I'll just have to vend my eight so you can buy yourself an Oberon somewhere. I'll drink. Well, I'll drink several for you too. I know you're, it's, it's a celebratory beer for you. I, you don't like it? Shame. I know, I'm I'm one of the few people from Michigan that thinks Oberon's overrated. I know. Ugh. I said it. I went there. <laughs> uh, we can go ahead and move on, though. Um, we were just talking about Pittsburgh a little bit, and we were talking about you know uh, continuous contenders for the cups. Uh, another injury for them, uh, Brian Dumoulin. Ends up being injured. What is going on in Pittsburgh this season with injuries? Like, they, it reminds me of that episode. It reminds me of that episode of SpongeBob where like they get the health inspector and like they're continuously hitting him with stuff like that. That's the Pittsburgh Penguins right now. I want to know what's going on in that trainer. It's like the trainer just going like when they lay on the trainer's bed, they just drop a brick on these guys' knees, heads, legs, arms. Like, wh- how are how is everybody getting injured in Pittsburgh? He's like. Hey guys, um, I started practicing acupuncture, but I couldn't find pins, so I got steak knives. <laughs> it's just like because Malkin came back, and then Crosby went out. Latang's hurt, was hurt, Bustad's hurt, and now Brian Dumont's hurt. That's five key players in the Pittsburgh Penguins organization. It's crazy, and they're still, and they're still somehow they're they're fighting, man. They're still fighting through the play for a playoff spot right now. So it, it, it's the injury bug is killing the Pittsburgh Penguins right now. Not literally yet. Not yet, but I mean, it's, it's definitely hampering them a little bit. Oof, that injury did look unpleasant too. Um, so we've talked about the, uh, the re-signings and we've talked about the injury with Dublin. Let's go ahead and also talk about, uh, I, I guess another rumor, uh, Taylor Hall rumor for a trade. Or Nick, where do you guys think he actually goes if he gets traded? Uh, Taylor Hall. Uh, yeah, he's an interesting one with being a UFA this off, uh, upcoming offseason. The Devils gonna are going to. Go ahead, David. It's going to have to be a contender. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a contender, but the Devils are going to ask for a high price for him right now. But no team's going to. I don't think any team's going to give up two first round pick. Maybe a conditional first round pick if he resigns. Like. <laughs> I would say it's similar to our deals we made with like um, Nyquist to the San Jose Sharks and uh, Tatar to the Knights. Conditional picks if they 
um, win a playoff series or if they win the Stanley Cup or if he re-signs. But, yeah, I can't see a team giving up, like, first-round picks up front. I feel like it has to be conditional. I mean, there's, there, there's going to be one, at least one first-round pick thrown in up front. But I think, like, not only with the first-round pick, but you're going to need some high-level prospects. There's, there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff that needs to go for Taylor Hall because he's a former Hart Trophy winner, and he's not going to be cheap. If I want, if I'm going to take a stab at a team that lands Taylor Hall, I'm going to say it's the Colorado Avalanche. Okay. I have an interesting theory. What if he goes back to Edmonton? <laughs> I, you know, I actually been seeing that too. I that would be very interesting to see. If you look at the situation when he left Edmonton, right? They had a different GM, they had a different head coach, and their forward group looked very different. So did their defensive group. It'd essentially be like almost a completely different team for him to be playing with. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility. It, I think it's very, it's one of those teams that are definitely, could definitely be in the running for Taylor Hall because, you know, it may not have ended how they wanted it there for the first time around in Edmonton, but, you know, we've seen players go back to teams like uh, James Van Reams, like how he went back to Philadelphia this offseason, so. Or two off seasons ago, so yeah, uh, I would say I, Col- I'd put Colorado and Edmonton as the two front runners. I'd put um, Colorado and the Blues. The Blues would be interesting because they have Tarasenko on LTIR, so that is that's why that is interesting. Do you imagine Please. if like Tarasenko stays injured until the playoffs? They make the playoffs, and then they have Tarasenko and Taylor Hall. That's just sweaty. That is just a sweat. That'd be a sweaty team. Not even fair. Um, and then I believe we have one last piece of news for this week. Uh, Nikki actually cued me in on this. I didn't even know this had happened. But uh, basically the Pugliarvi saga sort of came to a head. So why don't you walk me through that one? Yeah, uh, I mean, really nothing much to it besides the uh, December 1st deadline finally reached. And, he, you know, he didn't agree to a contract. With the Edmonton Oilers, nor was he traded, so he's going to be stuck in, or is he in Finland or Sweden, one of the countries over there in the European uh, European continent. So yeah, uh, you know, Pulley was kind of the story of the offseason after we were expecting Marner, 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 but no, Pulley took over, and uh, yeah, this is how it was resolved. He's staying overseas, and I believe he'll be a free agent uh, RFA next season. Does he come back? That's actually, I think, a, a really valid question. Like, Edmonton was trying to move him this offseason. The fact that he didn't sign back with them and he didn't get traded before that deadline, what does that mean for Edmonton and him going forward? Does that mean that they're going to deal him for whatever they can get? Because clearly nobody was biting on the first-round pick for him that Edmonton wanted. Oh, wait, is he UFA or RFA? He'll be an RFA still. Ooh. I, but I mean, Edmonton. Edmonton doesn't even have to tender him. I mean, if they want, if they just want to be done with him, they could just non-tender him, and they don't have to receive or qualifying offer him. And just and that's what I'm wondering: is there a couple of teams that might want him but don't really want to trade up things for Edmonton? Yeah, it, it's going to be so a, maybe they're hoping they tender him. They don't tender him, and they can just sign him. I, I, but I don't see why Edmonton does like Poliarvi could honestly just do the same situation over again, just tender him, we'll go overseas, but. I, I imagine Edmonton kind of wants to be done with this situation, so I imagine they non-tender him and just let him walk and does what he wants. Yeah. 
uh, just imagine the headache the whole organization went through with this kid. Just story after story coming out on him. It it was just ridiculous. The fact that he was taking over all summer and just the headlines of what is going on in Edmonton, what's going on with him. So I want to ask you guys, uh, David, what do you think if a team's going to trade for Poliarvi at this point they get? Because it's obviously not a first rounder. I would say third or fourth. What would you say, Nick? Yeah, if they want, I mean, they can't make a move until the offseason now. It's kind of like a frozen fun, but uh, yeah, I I would third round pick at max, just the way the situation is going. I think Edmonton lost all its leverage now. And uh, yeah, I don't think we see much uh, going in return for a player like Jesse Pugliarvi. Just seemed kind of like an interesting deal. I mean, David, you and I, Red Wings, and we lost uh, Ken Holland this offseason, so it's kind of interesting for us watching how he's managing Edmonton right now. I'm actually surprised he didn't try to make something work with him. I mean, yeah, I'm surprised too. Um, It'll be interesting because I know we've had issues with players in the past, uh, like Damian Brunner. Anthony CU. Anthony CU. Yuri Hudler. So it'll be interesting to see. I think... Either a team just, you know, offers them scraps for him or they don't tender him and a team either resigns him or he just stays in Europe. I, I think he's too good to be just staying in Europe and only playing his career out in Europe. But I think at this point, Edmonton's got no leverage in this situation anymore. Like, they can, no. they can act like they can, but just realistically, they don't. And the fact that they didn't re-up him by the deadline, that's they might as well have just thrown a clearance sticker on the kid and say, we're going to take whatever you throw at us. Yeah, that's really what it is at this point. Yeah. Does anybody else have any more uh, discussion topics for this week before we finally move into the flash forward and the flashback for the respective teams? Uh, no, just uh, yeah, a lot of news to cover. Yeah, we had the holiday break last, year, last week, so yeah, we're all caught up now, boys. <laughs> It was only a dumpster fire around the league while we were gone. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the one week we decided to take off. You know, we've been going. At, we've been doing this here every <laughs> single week. You know, some of us like to take a few weeks off here and there. <laughs> Kevin, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So uh, I'm glad we finally caught up with the news because this was a hectic NHL week. Yes, yes, it was. Okay, so I'm trying to think. The last uh, episode that we released was it. It was, it was right after the Hawks played the Predators, correct? Uh, let me check in my calendar. Actually, uh, no. no, they were about to play the Lightning because I remember <laughs> that we were, or that they had lost the Sabres game. Or no, they'd won the Sabres game, I mean. It was right when Babcock got fired, right? It was, it was like, I think, like either a day or two before. Uh, let me check. Sorry. Uh, bad radio. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just edit this out. Do, 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 do. Yeah, it was right before they played the Lightning. Okay, so let's go ahead and do a uh, a pretty large flashback for the Hawks. Um, so looking at the schedule for the past two weeks, uh, the Blackhawks lost to the Lightning four to two. They lost to the Stars two one at Dallas. They beat the Stars three zero at Chicago. They lost to the Avalanche five two. Lost to the Avalanche again, 7-3. Got beat by the Blues, 4-0. And then last night, they beat the Bruins 4-3 in overtime. 
And then as of right now, they're playing the New Jersey Devils. So go ahead and I guess sort of walk us through this schedule in general and what your impressions were of the Hawks the past two weeks. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go to my best of my memory. It's It's been a, with Thanksgiving last week, just my mind's been everywhere. So Lightning game, I think, I, I, don't, I don't remember if I projected them to lose. I think I did project them to lose that game. So kind of no surprise. It was a good fought battle, yeah, two-goal game. I think the final goal was an empty netter. So it wasn't, you know, not a terrible loss to Tampa Bay Lightning, a great hockey team. Uh, the, the game in Dallas is where this one was interesting, you know. Uh, not really the game-wise, game, game wise, but when it, it went to a shootout, Leonard gave up two goals and the Hawks were denied on the first two shootout attempts. And Leonard had some pretty interesting comments about it. Uh, he, he, you know, Leonard's been – you guys have known, like, Leonard's been very vocal, right? Oh, yeah. He's been, mm-hmm. yeah so he's been vocal about the year. And he kind of backlashed at the reporters because the reporters were saying how the Hawks should, should go with the new strategy, uh, bringing Crawford into shoot if the Hawks went into shootouts. And Leonard, Leonard kind of took offense to it. He, he, he was saying like, they were, it was like bagging on Leonard. And Leonard's like, I'm sorry I lost. Basically, I'm sorry I lost in a skills competition. Like, that's not a hockey. That's a skills competition. So. Leonard was very upset. Uh, he tweeted out that night, "Hello, adversity. I'm, we meet again." <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I, I'm kind of glad though. Leonard, the Hawks, Leonard, kind of needed to defend himself. The shootout, he really could go anyway. You know, it's literally a skills competition. I'm hoping they find a way to remove it. But uh, you know, good to see Leonard speak up for what he believes in. And then, so then Dallas comes to Chicago. Shuts them out. Three nothing. It was just a dominant effort from the Blackhawks. And then, uh, whew, Friday after Thanksgiving and Saturday after Thanksgiving, it got ugly. The Colorado Avalanche outscore us twelve to five in that whole series. Five to two the first on Friday, and seven to three on Saturday. And it, it was a uh, Leonard got pulled in that game. He screamed at the bench, which was kind of needed. Kind of lit a fire under them. You know, not not well, not in the game, but you know, trying to light a fire under their ass. It, it was an ugly, ugly series against Colorado. Uh, St. Louis, go to St. Louis. We played down a man because of the cap issues. I think that's when Duncan Keith got hurt, or it was Saturday that he got hurt. Uh, so the Hawks lose four nothing down a man. Kind of expected if you're throwing only eleven fours out there, it, it players are gonna get tired. You know, the Boston win. Boston was a. Uh, they were up three nothing entering the third period. I kind of got a little nervous, uh, you know. Three nothing. Boston's a tough team. They kind of showed a, a resilient third period coming at it, and then they score three goals in two minutes and twenty seven seconds to tie it up, forces overtime, and then Jonathan Taze finishes it off in overtime for a very lucky win and a game they should have handled easily. But you know, uh, came out with a big win in Boston and. The, Handing a Boston a rare home loss. So, two things, Nick. One, there's a way they can get rid of the shootout. It's called play continuous overtime like it should be. And the other thing about the Bruins loss, I think the best part about that loss, if you watch the replay that the NHL put up on their Facebook page, if you actually watch the uh, the breakaway that Taves gets to get the game winner, there's this really funny clip where after he scores the goal, he goes back against the uh, the glass, and one of the Boston fans in the background flips him the bird. So stay classy, Boston. 
Ah, uh, they're just they're still upset over 2013. Uh. But yeah, I, I didn't get to see that post. Now, uh, now that you mentioned it, I will definitely have to check that out because uh, I didn't really get to see it while I was watching. But yeah, uh, rough two week stretch for the Blackhawks. Uh, you know, for a team fighting to get back in the wild card position, that series, that home and home series against Colorado is really not what you want to see. You know, it was promising against the Stars, taking a point in overtime and then a two-point night at home. But, yeah, a team that's fighting for a wild-card spot, they need to beat these division opponents because it's a tough division to even climb up to into the race. So uh, the Hawks are um, lo- uh, looking up right now from the bottom of the standing, so it's, it's going to be a tough fight to get back in this race. Yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing. Like, you guys are playing in a pretty stacked division for the most part. I mean... Like you guys, the competition that you guys are playing against, it's not teams that are pretty weak. Like your guys' teams, in terms of who you're playing against for playoff spots, it's it's notable teams. It's teams who can actually handle games. It's not just you're rolling dice every night. If that makes sense. No, yeah, it's not a. It's very strong competition. And that's why I'm not really upset, you know. The color when I was watching the Colorado games, you know, I was obviously frustrated with how it went. But eventually, those kind of games are going to happen. The way the Hawks play, they kind of play a run and gun offense. And you know, there's going to be odd man rushes, breakaways that go the other way. But you, that's why you have Leonard and Crawford back there because you want them to make the stops. And sometimes they're not going to be on their A game every night. And losses like that are going to happen. And the only way to really improve is to somehow improve this defense that we have, and there's really no answer for that right now. But I can't be too upset. You know, it was a rough week. There was some promising signs, like against Dallas and against Boston, and whatever the outcome is tonight. But uh, yeah, so just a very rough week. But I, I'm still positive about the Hawks. It was, I just think it was some tough opponents. You think you've had a rough couple of weeks, Jesus? <laughs> We've lost ten straight. Oh uh, my gosh! Thanks for the uh, the optimism, so I can start our flashback, David. Yeah. Well, here's one. Well, here's the thing, David. We had we've had some high expectations. We set some high expectations for the Blackhawks this year, and you know this is kind of what you guys want. But go ahead, take it away, Jordan. Yeah. Uh, so David sort of stole my thunder, but <laughs> the Red Wings have lost ten of their straight last games. So things are looking up. Um. <laughs> Hey, we lost two of them in overtime. So, yeah, I guess, I guess, I guess that's fair. You joke, Uh, but freaking New York Rangers sitting at fifteenth, they're gonna jump us for the first pick. Oh shoot! Okay, well, let's go ahead and walk through the games real quick. Um, Please God, no more. (laughs) All right, so the the Wings lost to the Blue Jackets five four. That was uh, the game that was going while we were recording our last episode. They lost 5-1 to the New Jersey Devils, 2-0 to the Carolina Hurricanes. Surprisingly, though, that game close. Uh, 6-0 to the Maple Leafs. They lost 6-1 to the Flyers, 5-2 to the Capitals, 4-1 to the Islanders. And that's it for the past two weeks because they've been on a break for the past couple days. But... Just an ugly schedule all around. Not a single one of these games was even close. I mean, the, the game that they played against uh, <clears throat> against the Islanders, as much as the scoreboard is 4-1, to one, I think that game should have been a 3-2 game. 
I don't know if you watched it or not, David, but there's actually a goal where Bernier, he dropped to make the save. One of the Islanders players, his shin hit Bernier's pad and spun him around. He didn't get a chance to get up. And then the uh, the ref still declared it a good goal while he was down on the ground. So yeah, I would have called I, uh, that one back. Yeah, I mean, I would too, but you got to go with the motto, Detroit versus everybody. Even refs don't like us. Oh, this just this was an ugly, ugly week for the club. I mean, ten straight losses is already embarrassing. We just had that stint not that long ago where we lost. What was it? Twelve out of thirteen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what did we say last week is going to be the new motto for uh, the first overall pick? Throw it away for a little friendier. No, what was it? It was um. It wasn't throw it away. Let me think about it. Lose today for Lafreniere. Today for Lafreniere. But just, ugh, this was a bad week. <laughs> um, do you have any other comments, David, or does that pretty much sum it up? I mean, it's a shame that if you... I feel like if we don't go into double-digit wins for the rest of the season, they should just give us the first pick. Just as a, like, hey, we're sorry you suck. <laughs> So I think if we stay at like seven wins the entire season, we should get that pick, please. <laughs> What's the it's worst? Some uh, some tracking online just for laughs. I'll have you guys guess. When was the last time Detroit had the first overall pick? Oh God, it wasn't. Just, I just guess a year. There was someone. Uh, seventy six. Yeah, I thought we talked about this. I thought it was like seventies or maybe even the sixty. Or yeah, yeah, we did talk about it. Wasn't it like seventy something? Seventy six. The last time the Detroit Red Wings had the first overall pick was nineteen eighty six. Eighty six. That was close. Thirty three years ago. It's been a minute. Okay. Haven't picked, I would say. Let's see. We haven't picked the first overall in thirty three years. Our earliest draft pick outside of that was. We had a couple top threes, but okay. In terms of like. The past almost 30 years, basically Zadina and Cider are the highest picks we've had. So Detroit is pretty much overdue for a high-end pick at this point. So um, we could take the record this year. The worst record of all time is held by the 74-75 Caps at 867-5. and five. Ugh. We could do How it. Co- <laughs> are you sure we haven't won more than that yet? Our record is seven twenty and three. We have to basically lose out. <laughs> you, you guys remember? The, you guys remember the last time the Blackhawks had the first overall pick? Uh, who was it? Was it uh, Patrick Kane? Oh yeah, just a little guy named Patrick Kane. It still <sighs> la- makes me laugh when he got drafted. People were like, "He's too small to play in the NHL." You know, he's kind of the what starts the small trend. He, he proved that he wasn't the consensus till the, and that's why we're seeing all these small guys like finally get the chance taken on him. I mean, still not even that much because Johnny Gaudreau was a late-round pick. He's a stud. Dabrinka was passed up in the first round. He's a stud. Uh, Jack Hughes was fine. Like, one of those guys that actually proved him wrong, and they took a, he seems to be working out. Do you want to make any comments on this team's misery before we move to the flash forward? <laughs> uh, I, I, honestly, I honestly feel so. Like, do, do you guys have fun watching? Or is Detroit, it just like Detroit, a, it's like Detroit. a Detroit sports and the soccer team I follow are the reason why I stare at my liquor cabinet a lot, longing for it. Hawks <laughs> are going into Robin Leonard's favor right now, the shootout. Oh, my gosh. Um, 
let's go ahead and just do the flash war then because there wasn't really much to talk about for the wings this past week because it was just trash um let me just pull up the blackhawks upcoming schedule as of right now i mean you just mentioned it nick they're currently playing against the devils it's what is it one to one right now one to one and turn to shootout yep yeah so that one's still up in the air right now for the moment um on Sunday, they're going to be playing against the Arizona Coyotes, who surprisingly, what is it, they're first in their division? Arizona's a wagon. They're really good. Uh, on Tuesday, they play against the Vegas Golden Knights, and then next Thursday, they play against the Arizona Coyotes again. So, if you have it on, what do you think, or who do you think has looked better so far to the Hawks and Devils game? Uh, I think it, honestly, I think it's been a pretty even split. Uh, the Hawks, they, they've looked pretty good. Uh, you know, it's a t- the day should have, they should handle, they should have handled the Devils with ease. We'll see the outcome of the shootout, but I think the Hawks, I, I'm hoping the Hawks overcome this Crawford's in that. So it's not, luckily we don't have one between the fights for this shootout. Um, I would think you guys would win the shootout. I think you guys have the better shooters and I think your goaltender is better than the Devils goaltender. I mean, I don't really see you guys losing it. Um, the Coyotes game, how do you guys think that one goes? Uh, I think the Coyotes... Oh, I, the one at home, I think, the, I think the Blackhawks take. I think the Blackhawks take it on Sunday. And, yeah, it's going to be a close battle. The Coyotes are really good, but I think the Hawks come away with it. And how do you think this one goes? I think Blackhawks take it. So I think the Hawks can take it. I don't think it's. I think it's going to be close, but I think they can edge the win out here. Um, the next game that the Hawks are going to play is they're going to play against the Vegas Golden Knights on Tuesday. Um, I still think that the Hawks can beat Vegas as well. I I don't think that this is going to be a blowout like the uh, Arizona game will either. But I think it's still definitely winnable for the Blackhawks. Yeah, the Hawks have played two good games against. Vegas this year. Uh, one we've lost in a shootout, and I. But I think the Blackhawks do come away with it. Uh, you know they play. They, they. I think they match well with Vegas, kind of with the way their rosters play. I think the Hawks continue if they continue the way they've been playing with this zone entry control and everything like that, and the high powered offense. I think they could overcome Vegas. And then the uh, the final game of the week that they're going to play is they're going to go back to Arizona to play against the Coyotes. So I think Arizona's probably going to win at home. Just I think they'll probably be more well-rested. And it's not like adjusting to a time zone for the players who play there. <sighs> yeah, I, I think if the Hawks do fall this week, it's going to be at when, Arizona, when they go visit Arizona. I mean, Blackhawks fans pack that... Uh, I R- Gilly or Riviera Arena or whatever it's called, but uh, yeah, it, I the way Arizona's been playing at home ice this year, I think Arizona makes it. Do you think that game goes, David? Um, yeah, I think Arizona's really turned it on this year, so I think yeah, they win it there on their home ice. Okay, so basically two wins and or yeah, two wins and a loss is one win at home, one win on the road, and then one loss away. Yeah, I, I think I, but I do. I could see the Hawks taking a point in Arizona. I, I again, it's just the way their styles kind of go. I think they kind again, just like Vegas. I think Arizona and the Blackhawks kind of play similar, and they have the same weaknesses. So, 
yeah, so yeah, I think probably two two wins this next week and maybe one overtime loss. Okay. Anybody have any closing remarks before we move on to the uh, Red Wings schedule for this upcoming week and the flash forward? I already got my flash forward answers, so let's get this on the road. Okay. Uh, so tomorrow night they're going to be playing against the Pittsburgh Penguins at home. On Tuesday they're going to be playing against the uh, Winnipeg Jets at Winnipeg. And then on Thursday they come back home to play against the uh, Jets. So like a lot of the like the schedule for these two teams, they play against the same team back to back once away and then once at home. Mm-hmm. Um, the Pittsburgh game, I think Detroit loses. I I don't see them keeping up with the Penguins at all. Uh, Nick, what does uh, Lafreniere's name start with? What letter? Alex. Oh, L. Yeah, we're taking we're taking that L. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the next two games, they're going to be playing against the uh, the Jets, one away game and one home game. I'm chalking those both up to L's for Lafreniere. Um, um, Nick again. Uh, former Philadelphia Flyers player was 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 really great. Career ended early because of injuries. Eric. Um, uh, I think it starts with a L. Yeah, Lindros. Yeah, we're taking the L. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So just basically three L's is what me and uh, David are predicting, and yeah, I'm on the same that, board, boys. <laughs> so they say if you want to know what the future holds, look to the past. Well, the past doesn't exactly look too bright. So, so breaking news. Breaking news. Hawks win. Nice. Hawks win a shootout. Nice. So. Kirby Dog got a filthy move, scored, and then Jack Hughes got denied to end it. So the number three overall pick tops the number one in that matchup. Beautiful. So um, I got to think. Uh, my soccer team just fired their coach. The Lions might fire Patricia, probably. When do the Wings fire Blaschel? No, I actually don't think the Lions fire Patricia. I think they give him one more season. I think so, too, but I think the defensive coordinator is most likely getting fired, but when does Blaschel get the hook? I think Blaschel gets the hook after next season. I think he's had ample time with this team. It's a wait. He's giving him another season. No, I think like he's just gone. Like I oh, don't okay, okay. want him, but I think just out of because his contract is through next year, right? Yeah. Didn't you sign a two-year? Yeah. I think that Eiserman's going to let him finish his contract, and then he's gone. I like, I don't even think that. I think uh, give it the All Star break. Really? Yeah, I mean, it, it at least it's in a downtime for the NHL. It kind of lets Blashill take his time to get his stuff out of there, and you know, just kind of recuperate after that. Oh, David, when do you think he's gone? <sighs> I think end of the season, unfortunately. But unfortunately, or fortunately. Bit of both. I just I want a better coach that can spark this team because we have talent. We just need a spark. Does Bill Peters interest you? Uh, gonna... <laughs> <laughs> no, oh nobody gosh. higher. Nobody higher. I'd rather get Mark Crawford so we can beat the shit out of this team. Well, it's gonna be a whole different make model next year. So he he don't need uh these guys won't these guys that you see right now. The majority of them are gonna be on the roster next year. Mm-hmm. 
Hey, have you guys been on uh, Facebook recently for the uh, for when the Babcock news broke about him being uh, let go from the Leafs? Maybe we'll pick him up. Oh God, no! You know, I think he'd be a great coach for the Detroit Red Wings. I don't think that's uh, you know he seems like a great fit, and I don't think Detroit's ever really given him a chance before, right? Oh, not at all. No, I, yeah, that's what I figured. I just yeah, <coughs> I I heard he was like interested in going there a few years ago, but. Uh, yeah, I don't think I think Detroit decided to go a different way. I think that actually does bring up a good uh, discussion point while we're on it. Let's say Blashill does get let go this off, or not this off season even, but during this season, who does Detroit pick up at this point to coach the team? Like, God, they um, just Dan Bell. Dan Bellsman just takes over. Yeah, I think he takes over the rest of the season if that happens. And I think yeah. he might be your coach in hand after I. I I mean, obviously, there's firings that are going to happen just like every year, but yeah, he seems like the most <laughs> applicable person for this because he knows the roster, and it's not his team. I mean, I know he's he's coaching certain units. I don't know if he's the power play guy or penalty kill guy for your team. Yeah, he's my uh, he's from my hometown too. But yeah, I mean, he he's worked with these guys before, and you know, I know the Haw- or not the Hawks. The Wings are kind of want to transition. Some of their AHL guys in the NHL probably throughout this season. And I think Belzma is actually, honestly, capable of doing the job. And he has been he was a damn good coach in Pittsburgh. And I, I, it wouldn't shock me if he's the future Red Wings coach. See, I could definitely see Belzma filling in. I think that's not a bad pickup at all. I mean, he's had, like, coaching, like, spots before. So, I mean, why not? I mean, there's no point in really – Trying to take something from outside of the organization and inject a mid-season when the season's already a wash anyway. I mean, with Pittsburgh, he won the Stanley Cup. He made the playoffs every season while he was there, and they they canned him. Like he was in terms of placement, oh eight second, 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 first, first. So like he could coach the team. Yeah, maybe Detroit can offer the New York Islanders a uh, a draft pick and take Barry Trotz. <laughs> He's got because what is it? He got canned from Washington the year he won the Stanley Cup, right? Yeah, I'm in uh, D.C. I guess him and the owner didn't like each other, and the owner was grooming the, whoever the coach is right now to take over for him. So they just decided to get rid of him so the guy could take over. Interesting choice. Yeah. Because he wanted a new deal, I think, is what it was. But anyway, I, I think that's that's interesting, like putting Biles on that position for sure. But I think he could do it. Why not? What 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 do we have to lose? At this point, realistically, nothing. I mean, the season can't uh, really go any more downhill from here. You have 40 more games or 50 more games to lose. That's what you got to lose. We're getting that record, baby. At some point, this team will be good again. some point. I know we will. It just hurts right now because my entire life has been them winning. It's not like the Lions where they've always hurt me, so I'm just used to that. It's it's two opposites right now. The Red Wings are always good. The Lions have just never been good. So the people who are Lions fans are used to the despair. The Red Wings fans aren't. <laughs> yeah. And then the Tigers, we had our couple good years. And then we just had to trade everyone away. That's why I like the Cubbies too. So good, good on them getting David Ross to manage them now. Yeah, uh, yes. <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of 
that's one thing I've been meaning to ask you. I mean, I know we're a hockey podcast, so it's kind of rabbit trailish for a minute, but Chicago's got two baseball teams. Like, how do people from that city choose which team they're going to follow? If they're uh, assholes, they follow the White Sox. I mean, it's pretty. It's really honestly pretty simple. The, the White Sox are the South Side of Chicago, so usually like the South Side. Uh, for those that are relative that know the area, like Bridgeport area, Canaryville area, Midway area, they're mostly Sox fans in the northern suburbs and northern city of Chicago is uh, Cubs fans. Okay. Or, I mean, after 2016, you kind of just jump boats because there's a lot of fans that were Sox fans and claim they're Cubs fans now. So, you know, whatever floats your boat. <laughs> there's not like a, like a tense hatred between the two clubs at all? Uh, it's funny. The the Cubs really don't consider the White Sox a rival, but the White Sox consider the Cubs their biggest rival. So it's kind of like a little brother situation where, you know, I, I, I don't know. They, the White Sox, every time they play the Cubs, they, their fans go crazy and they take it like it's the World Series. When and the Cubs, it, I mean, it's fun for the Cubs, but it's just another series. Okay. I was just curious. But anyway, back to hockey. Is there anything else that anybody wants to talk about before we uh, move on out of the actual uh, discussion topics for tonight? Ah, uh, no. Yeah. So uh, at this point of the episode, we're done with all of the uh, the main discussion topics, the flash forward and the flashbacks. Um, I had an idea while I was at work last night. Um, it's, I guess when you when you look at both teams both the Red Wings and the Blackhawks. The Blackhawks, at least as of right now, are starting to trend down, and the Red Wings are already at the bottom. You can't trend any further down for the Red Wings. <laughs> I really can't, but <laughs> both teams are sort of starting, or are at least declining at the moment right now. The only time these teams are ever going to meet again, at least the way the conferences are set up right now, is if they meet in the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, if that happens... What do we do as a podcast? Uh, uh, I can't even imagine us being civil if we were ever in a Stanley Cup final situation, so we might have to take like a two-week break. It would just be a fuck you match at that point. Like, There could be so much news going around the league, and we would not give a shit. Hey, did you guys hear Crosby just saved a bunch of kids from a burning building? No, fuck you and fuck your team. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I honestly hope the situation comes up because that would be great for this podcast and it would make great content. But The Stickblade podcast has gone on a two-week hiatus because fuck the Blackhawks. No, fuck uh, the Red Wings. <laughs> yeah, like I don't know what we do in that situation because we're not going to be civil human beings. We know that. No, of course not. Oh, no, I mean... Don't get it. I mean, I'm a red like I like the Wings and the Hawks. It's it's kind of weird because they're considered rivals, but I will always root for the Red Wings before the Blackhawks. Yeah, I I just like we're in a high stakes scenario like uh, the Stanley Cup Final. I honestly don't think we'd be able to contain ourselves. I think we would. Uh, 
you know, we would get off to wear her rails quite a bit. It'd be more banging on each other rather than uh, talking about the news. Can you imagine me? Like, you see, you've listened to me rant this year. Can you imagine me trying to, you trying to, like, talk to me on the podcast and get me to do a segment on the wings or something like that? And <laughs> after, like, a Hawks loss in, like, game six of the Stanley Cup finals, or, like, if you guys want it, you guys probably wouldn't hear from me for weeks. I'd go MIA. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. But. I mean, that was just an interesting uh, question I asked myself, but something I think we can kind of talk about as a as a podcast right now for a topic, since we don't have any fan mail this week. In recent memory, what would you guys say has been the most tense either playoff series or Stanley Cup final? Oh, God. I would say Red Wings Avalanche or Red Wings Mighty Anaheim Ducks in 07 was pretty um like contested like the ducks were dirty in 07 and avalanche were always a pain in the ass with us this is not i, I agree that uh, uh from my memory it seemed like it was a definitely a series to be remembered but not to cater to the podcast but my favorite my favorite playoff series of all besides the three Stanley Cups that we won not a big deal uh <laughs> it was the blackhawks red wings uh it was uh, Western Conference semifinals in 2013, was it? You that was when we're Seabrook got the game winner, right? Yeah. I, I mean, we, we were down 3-1. Down 3-1. And I just, know. Just with how Game 7 went with the penalty, with Jalmerson scoring the uh, go-ahead goal with a minute and like 19 seconds left and then it being called back due to uh, coincidental minors with Brandon Saad and who was it? Was it Darren Helm? That he got tied I think up. It with. was. So and then you know all the drama that caused and the Blackhawks going in the locker room. Jalmerson, there, there's a huge story. Jalmerson put a hole in the wall with his stick, and then Brent Seabrook comes out and scores a game-winning goal in overtime to send us to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, uh, it was pretty painful. I think we had some contestant stuff with you guys, like with uh, Franz and ripping out Kane's mouth guard in that one game, and. Uh, Darren Helm just undressing everybody on that PK. Like they were good series and they were contested, but I don't think it was as aggressive as Jordan was saying, like we had with Colorado or we had with the Ducks. Yeah, I think the one in recent memory that sticks out for me, it's not podcast, it's not related to either team, but the uh, the Penguins and Capitals series, I believe it was. Three Those years ago, always good to watch. Where they went to games, I, be, I believe it was uh, it was one of the final games in the series. The final score, like I believe it was like six or seven goals apiece for each team, and like yeah, I just remember afterwards, like it just like they were like fans from I believe it was Pittsburgh. They took the steps in Washington for one of the monuments and got like this huge uh-huh. crowd together. So so I can explain more about that cuz I'm in this area. So since I'm from the area, I know more a lot more like about what that deal is. So like the teams hate each other, the fans hate each other. And one of my best friends out here is a, Pe- a Penguins fan and he's been on the steps. So the steps are like right before a metro station so like to get out of dc so everyone has to go past those steps so the pittsburgh fans will always go to those steps to just taunt the caps fans mercilessly and that night was like one of the biggest nights of it because they eliminated them basically it was like a giant raising like of like the middle finger haha we won 
Yep, and they do it all the time. Jordan, what is your uh, favorite series, playoff series? Hey, that one is really it right there. That that Penguins ca- uh, Caps one. I think that just the games were heated, the fans were heated, and if, the Penguins if, had beat the Caps almost every other time they'd met in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was sort of one of those, like, it felt like an inevitable thing, and, like, just both teams are super heated. Yeah, if I had to pick, like, my favorite one to watch besides like aggression stuff it would be um the wings cup run in 08 just how we were blowing through teams like nicholas jim scored that goal from half ice against dallas and franzen was just tearing it up and then we came to the penguins and everyone's like oh it's the penguins and we won off the butt goal and like i was standing in front of my tv in the last seconds of that game when Hosa shot the puck across the like the front of the net, and I'm like, "Did we just win? Oh, it's over! Oh my god, we just won! We're Stanley Cup champions!" Like the shock of that last play, like shut me down for a good minute as they're celebrating, and I'm like, "Oh my god, we just won!" There have definitely been some good ones though, that's for mm-hmm. sure. Um, yeah, but if nobody has anything else to talk about, I think we go ahead and wrap out this episode tonight because we've been going for almost two hours now. Let's I got wrap one, the longest. Oh, I got one more thing. Not not nothing to touch on really for this show, but it's for uh, you two for the next show. And Kevin, when you eventually listen to this episode, a uh, little stick blade podcast homework assignment. Uh, you guys, I know you guys are on Twitter, and you know how like the uh, they it's the end of the decade, and the trends been going on like top things that happened this decade or whatnot. Yeah, uh, I I want you guys to form a team. I I figured I'd give you guys a week advance. Uh, form an all-decade team for the Detroit Red, Red Wings, and me and Kevin will do the Blackhawks. Like four line or three line, your four lines for the forwards and three D pairings, and goalie. Oh, that sounds it has so to be hot. just from the past uh, decade. Yeah, from twenty, from two thousand ten to two thousand nineteen. Ooh, they are going to be some all stars. Shit, we don't get Hosa. <laughs> the all-decade team. So yeah, I figured. Uh, I figured since we're ending a new decade, or entering a new decade, so uh, yeah, let's, let's form an all-decade team. It's a little stick blade, po- uh, stick blade podcast homework assignment. Sounds good. Crap, we lose Lidstrom, don't we? Don't we don't get to have him? Hold on, because Zetterberg was uh, was captain during what was it, the 08 run? 2012. We got him. We got him. We got him. Still got him. We got him. <laughs> no, Zetterberg was the assistant captain during the 08 one. Yeah, Eisenman, or Lidstrom retired in 2012. Yes. We still got the greatest defenseman to ever grace the ice. Yeah, that sounds like a fun one to do for sure next week. It's hot yeah. the deck the team of the decade. Yeah, do your uh yeah, Red Wing you'll do your Red Wings team uh team of the decade. And I'll do the Blackhawks me and Kevin will do the Blackhawks all decade. Yeah. That sounds like a fun one. Sounds good to me. First line, second line, third line, fourth line, and then one, two, three D pairings. And then a goalie. When did he leave us? Please tell yeah. me we had him. I don't think we had Hashik or Osgood. Um, hold on. I'm looking at someone else. Okay, we have Rafalski too. Yeah. Okay, um, Osgood? Let's see. I think we had Osgood still. He didn't retire that quickly after Chris Osgood. No, nope, we had him still. So yeah, we'll have to make this team. But that's for next week. Well, boys, hey, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was great to be back recording, boys. I mean, two weeks off. 
Yeah. Felt like uh, it felt like forever with all the news that we missed. Uh, it's a shame Kevin got eaten by that bear. Uh, yeah, uh, poor Kevin. Who knows? Who knows if he ever plans on coming back? Yeah, he, I heard he actually might be taking over the uh, Calgary Flames coaching job. They have, a co- they have a coaching vacancy there. I heard he became a diehard uh, Ottawa Senators fan this past week. Jordan, what's your sources telling you? My sources are telling me actually that uh, Kevin decided he's going to ditch us and he's going to join the Boston Bruins somehow in their organization. He said he would absolutely love love to be part of what's arguably the worst team in the league. He um, He's going to start his own Boston Bruins podcast called the Boston Chattas. We're going to have to talk to the uh, Calgary Flames organization to see if we could get Kevin back on the show next week. Uh, you know, uh, we're, we're going to have to play some hardball and negotiate a contract so you could uh, work both jobs. All right, let's wrap this present. But, but in all seriousness, uh, if you're still with us this far into the episode, we appreciate you guys listening to <laughs> you us. Made it's, it. <laughs> it's been about two hours now into the episode. This one has been a long one because there's just been so much to cover this past two weeks that we've been off. And for um, you people that stuck with us, I'll let you know a deep, dark secret about me. I've never had a Twinkie. I really hope, these, I really hope the people listen to us like our voices, or else this is going to be two hours of pain. <laughs> but, I, I really enjoy hockey, but God damn it, I hate their voices. <laughs> all right, George, sorry. Right, we're getting off the rails. But go ahead, George. Wrap this sucker up. It's all right. But yes, for any of you guys who've been... Uh, have been listening to this ramble for the last two hours. We appreciate you guys listening and listening to the show. Um, this is at the end of the day is a podcast by fans for fans. So we appreciate you guys sticking with us. We're not officially affiliated with anybody or a sponsor or anything like that. So really just like a passion project for everybody here. So thank you guys for tuning in and listening. If you ever want to listen to the podcast, like either episodes that we did earlier or our future episodes, uh, you can always find our podcast on either SoundCloud or iTunes. You can either find us at soundcloud.com slash stickbladepodcast, or you can find us on uh, iTunes and you type the space stick space blade space podcast, just like that, and we should pop up. And then if you want to find us on Twitter, you can follow us on Twitter at stickbladepod, all one word, at stickbladepod. And then you can also email us at stickbladepodcast at gmail.com. So whatever social platform you like to use for your social media, there's a way to get involved with us and to listen to us. So whether you're Apple or Android or whatever device, there's a way for you to listen to us and subscribe. So feel free to give us a like, a follow, a share, whatever the social media currency of choices on the platform that you uh, listen to us on. And we didn't have any fan mail this week, so if you have any sort of like questions or comments or feedback for the episode, please, please, please send it to us. We like reading your guys' mail. It's something that we can talk about where we can't really plan the topic, so you get just like really raw reactions and opinions from us. And with that being said, that basically is going to conclude this episode, so thank you guys again for watching. For the Stickblade Podcast, I'm your host, Jordan Linscott, and tonight, for my co-hosts, David Bardhouse and Nick LePage, this has been another edition of the Stickblade Podcast. Go Blackhawks and go Red Wings. And if you're watching this, you're having superpowers.